Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to you all, and welcome to episode 6 of Divine Interventions. I am your host, and today we're going to have a very in-depth discussion and questioning into the most geeky shit I've ever talked about, but I wanted to talk about this for quite some time, so before we do, we need to ask a very important starter question to get a basis and a direction into where we're going. First, what's the best fantasy or sci-fi series. Now, when I say fantasy series, I'm talking about the lines of Game of Thrones, The Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Star Trek, and the like. Personally, I'm a bit on the fence, and obviously this is all subjective, but there are certain keys that need to be mentioned here. I'm convinced that each of these series has a different effect on all of us, and one key is age. It's the age that we're exposed to certain universes, that highly impacts our perception on the world that we grow up in. It molds us and forges us in our personalities. Will we be massive geeks or nerds? Will we be introverts or extroverts? Will we be popular in school or not so popular? I'll give you a hint, most of the time it was the latter. But I've narrowed this down to a few select series that were adapted from books and one that was just an idea that quickly evolved into one of the largest universes ever created. A quote I've loved over the years from the one and only Lord, Mr. Simon Pegg himself, is as follows, quote, Being a geek is all about being honest about what you enjoy and not being afraid to demonstrate that affection. It means never having to play it cool about how much you like something. It's basically a license to proudly emote on a somewhat childish level rather than behave like a supposed adult. Being a geek is extremely liberating. End quote. So let's go ahead and start with a personal favorite and an absolute masterpiece of a trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. Obviously, the film series, both the extended and theatrical editions, were adaptations from J.R.R. Tolkien's books that were released in 1954 and 1955. To put this in perspective, it's now December of 2020. So if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, please immediately send me an email or a PM on Discord so we can immediately organize a watch party, but moving on. Lord of the Rings, again, is a masterpiece bar none. The absolute Lord of a director himself, Peter Jackson, started filming the first movie, The Fellowship of the Ring, in 1997. So obviously in the late 90s, visual effects were not as they are today. And there are a few hiccups in some scenes, but keep in mind that these films won 11 Oscars. These Oscars were for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Makeup, Best Original Score, Best Original Song, Best Sound Mixing, Best Film Editing, and Best Visual Effects. So I have a Tuxton Carbide replica, I guess you could say, of the One Ring. I have a licensed replica of the Ring of Barahir, or Aragorn's Ring. I have a licensed replica of one of the swords from Lord of the Rings, and I have another sword from The Hobbit. So to say I'm a fan would probably be a bit of an understatement. Did I read the books? No, unfortunately not, but I probably should. Do I know everything there is to know about the lore? Definitely not. But when I was young, Lord of the Rings had a resounding effect on my childhood, and this took many different forms, from getting a One Ring replica that I lost, by the way, because I buried it in sand, pretending to find it like Bilbo, and I never found it again. 
I tried my best Smeagol impression. Now, I think my impression's much better today, but we'll backtrack for a quick second. When I was young, uh, me and a few of my very close friends always played on a hill by the bus stop in my parents' neighborhood. And obviously, being fans of Lord of the Rings, we had fake swords. We either had plastic Lord of the Rings swords or just basic plastic samurai swords, and we would fight. But we wouldn't just fight each other. Most of the time, we fought wave after wave of invisible enemies. And part of me thinks that every adult around us thought we were idiots, but then again, we were just kids being kids, doing what kids do. Although, the plastic samurai sword was not quite enough for me. So after watching The Return of the King, my ass had a better idea, and I had inspiration. So my parents had a roll of scotch foil tape. It's usually used for patching air ducts and air conditioning vents, but I had a better use for it. Oh, yeah. I took that roll of foil tape, and I made that plastic sword shine. I even flattened it. I cut a hole in where the guard would have been in the blade. I cut pieces of balsa wood. I glued those together. I covered those in foil tape, and voila, a brand new sword. And I was proud of that sword. I listened to the movie soundtracks while I was putting that shit together, and I watched the movies while putting that shit together, and I would do it again. Speaking of soundtracks, Howard Shore is just an absolute master, and without getting into the story of Lord of the Rings, because I know that some of you <coughs> haven't seen it, I go up to the mountains a lot, and I did a lot when I was young, and I still go up on occasion. But every single time I do, I have to throw on some Howard Shore. It's just a feeling that you can't shake. It's like a vibe. And you'd know this too if you watch the movies because the cinematography and the score and the visuals just make you want to go there. Tolkien created an amazing, vast fantasy world and watching it makes you want to live it. Watching the movies gets you on the edge of your seat with the anticipation of what's going to happen next. And as referenced back in episode two of this podcast, uh, a writer named John Turby uh, wrote in the anatomy of a story, quote, Character change doesn't happen at the end of the story. It happens at the beginning. More precisely, it's made possible at the beginning by how you set it up. In other words, the main character doesn't suddenly flip to being someone else. The main character completes a process which has been occurring throughout the story of becoming who he or she is in a deeper and more focused way. End quote. Now this is exactly what we see in Lord of the Rings. It fulfills all of the requirements of an amazing piece of writing and more. And even Peter Jackson approached Tolkien's writings not as fantasy but as history. He said, quote, We've been given the job of making Lord of the Rings, but I want to, from this point on, I want to think that the Lord of the Rings is real that it was actually history, that these events happened. And more than that, I want us to imagine that we've been lucky enough to go on location and shoot our movie where the real events happened. End quote. And this is exactly what you get when you watch the movies. The sets that the design team made are incredible. Some of them are large-scale miniatures. Some shots were only taken with one take because they were practical effects. Some shots were on large sets, small sets. Some were taken with multiple moving parts to give the effect of scale. Obviously, I don't want to get all into how the movie was made, 
But all of these aspects make it one of the absolute greatest fantasy film trilogies ever made. And quick side note, now that it's December, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit was just released in 4K HDR, so everything is color graded. And the difference between the 1080p version and the 4K versions are absolutely incredible. The Hobbit is somewhat similar, although I know many people were frustrated about certain aspects of it. For one, it's wildly known that one book should not have been adapted into three movies, and it's known that Tariel and Legolas were not in the books. Tariel is a fictional character that was only created by Peter Jackson, essentially as a filler, and introducing Legolas was, quite frankly, just fan service. Everything in these movies pulls you in, and just sitting back and relaxing and watching the movies is complete and total just bliss and escapism. Even if Middle-earth is a fictional place, someday I will go because you can actually visit the Hobbiton set in New Zealand that will be there forever. I will absolutely go and visit the Shire someday. But to go in a quick backtrack, Tolkien's poems in the books are profound. And a quick excerpt of one is this. All that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. End quote. The Lord of the Rings movies and the books can teach us valuable lessons that we can all derive from quotes from famous characters, but more importantly, we can relate to them. There are hardships, but there's hope and there's courage. And there's holding on to good in this world, as Samwise Gamgee would say. Or all that we have to decide is what to do with the time that's given to us, as Gandalf would say. The One Ring teaches us about corruption and greed. Samwise tells a story about their quest to destroy the ring and how important Frodo is to him. Sam is the friend that everyone should strive to be. And this speaks to me, it speaks to us to everyone about relationships and friendships and companionship. You'll always find something that's worth the time or worth the effort. Now, what about Harry Potter? Well, there's no doubt that Harry Potter is one of the most successful book franchises ever. It combines real world with mythical creatures, wands, spells, magic. And there's no doubt that we all love the books or the movies as kids and adults. I never read the books, although my sister would read one in a day if she had the chance, but the movies are pretty great across the board. And nowadays, you can buy replica wands, jewelry, and a bunch of merch from Noble Collections. You can even go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter to pick up your own wand from Ollivander's wand shop. You can experience the magic with the light coming down from the ceiling. You can hear the music from the movie. And I think we all had our Harry Potter phase, considering I would find sticks in the woods and carve those down to wands. Although I don't think I had any spell fights with my friends, although we probably thought about it. Now what about Game of Thrones? I hadn't read George R. R. Martin's books, and I don't necessarily plan to, so I just started watching the show. And up until season 8, it was fantastic. The acting, the score, the sets, everything was great. And if you guys have listened to episode two of this podcast, you'll know how much hatred I had for how the show ended. Because HBO had all the funding they needed to finish the show with ten episodes, but they cheaped out and only made six. 
Now, I understand that George Martin and the writers for the show were in constant contact, so the show could end as the books did, or else it's all fucked. But again, as covered in episode 2, season 8 completely destroyed critical parts of a story arc, of a character arc. The season was crushed that it ruined one of the best stories in fantasy history, at least on the TV screen. Clues early on in the show indicating how characters would have major roles were totally disregarded and cast aside. And when the actors and actresses are on video and interviews being extremely skeptical about how their own characters ended the show, you know you fucked up as writers. Now it's time for Star Wars. Now I'll admit here that something that I'm not afraid to, um, as a child, me and my close friends, uh, same friends I referenced regarding Lord of the Rings, we've all known each other since we were very young. We had lightsaber fights on recess in elementary school. Although, there's a caveat to this story. Because we didn't have lightsabers. We didn't have sticks. Those were too dangerous on the recess field. We had mechanical pencils. You know the little mechanical pencils that had little buttons by the grip to feed more lead into the tip as you were writing? Yeah, those ones. So as soon as that recess bell rang, we all got outside. I would get into a dead sprint out past the playset onto the big field where my friends were. Duel of the Fates would play in my head as I grabbed my trusty mechanical pencil from my belt. Yes, it was on my belt. And I wielded that shit like it was the most sophisticated weapon in sci-fi, an elegant weapon for a more civilized age. I can't remember how many of us there were, although I know there was at least three of us, and I think more people joined in eventually. We all fought each other, had force abilities, and if we were killed, we still got buck up and kept fighting. Apparently we were all gods with the force. Was it weird? Maybe, but also not really. Not for our age group. We had a blast in it, and we got our exercise. And to this day, we are avid fans and critical fans of the Star Wars universe. When Borders was still a bookstore, I remember going with my dad on more occasions than one. But I wasn't looking at the books. And some people will remember this. In one corner of the store, right by the DVDs, there was always a stack of Star Wars lightsaber replicas leaned up against the wall. For years after that, I dreamed of getting one of those replicas in an effort to feel like a total badass. And when I grew up and started working and making a paycheck, you bet your ass I bought one and I'm staring at it right this instant. The Hasbro Anakin Skywalker lightsaber from Revenge of the Sith. And a year or two later, I attended a 3D midnight showing of Episode 7, The Force Awakens, dressed in a full Jedi costume with some parts that I made from scratch besides the robe. Actually, now that I think about it, I almost forgot that I disassembled the lightsaber and got new parts for it. I wanted to make sure that I could carry it around without the blade on the costume. And the Hasbro version I bought, unfortunately, did not have the removable blade, so I had to take care of that manually. After I took it apart, I removed the LED strip from the blade, bought another emitter piece from the custom saber shop, Unfortunately, the emitter piece that I bought was technically not the right one, but I kept it anyways, and I think it still looks good. It is missing one piece, and it looks a tad bit uneven, but it's still fairly clean. 
I bought a official belt clip, and as for the internals, I ordered a Luxon Rebel 3 LED and a brand new reflector to put inside the hilt. After I soldered everything back together, I now have a lightsaber replica that I can put right into my belt and throw in the blade whenever I want. It doesn't have an up and down activation or deactivation, but it is pretty handy for costume parties. I was first introduced to Star Wars at about six years old when I was in first grade, and I watched them in the order they were released. So four, five, six, one, two, and three. And there's a lot of debate amongst the community in terms of which order to watch them all in, but again, that's entirely subjective. For me as a kid, seeing A New Hope sparked an interest in what was going to happen next, and I'm sure it did for everybody watching it for the first time. When you watch The Empire Strikes Back, and you hear one of the most famous lines in movie history, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough! He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. No. That's not true. That's impossible. Your jaw drops. If you've ever seen videos of kids reacting to that scene for the first time on YouTube, I highly recommend you watch them because they will make you giddy. And Star Wars was, and still is, one of those series that you can't not watch. The quotes are literally baked into my brain and our brains. The memes are everlasting. They never go away. And don't lie to yourself, you know you've seen the memes, and you probably love them too. But unlike other series, Star Wars has a massive, massive group of conventions. The gathering called Star Wars Celebration started in 1999 in Denver, Colorado, and the latest one was held in Anaheim, California in 2019. So to put attendance in perspective, Star Wars Celebration Chicago that was held in April last year, it was estimated that 65,000 fans attended. Then you have other groups like the 501st Legion. That is a worldwide costuming organization comprised of and operated by 14,000 active members, and that's across the globe. I think it should be more than 14,000. We know how many people love Star Wars. At the same time, another costume club titled the Mandalorian Mercs is, quote, an international Star Wars costuming organization dedicated to celebrating the Star Wars universe through creation, display, and wearing of quality character costumes that represent the Mandalorian characters and culture from the Star Wars sagas. End quote. And these movies have an incredible effect on the movie industry, and they change movies forever and for the better. George Lucas and the team for Industrial Light and Magic literally revolutionized visual effects by using real-life miniatures, sculptures, and even paintings. Did you know there's actually a religion called Jediism? I'm not kidding. There is a full website called the Temple of the Jedi Order. They have their own beliefs, members. They have a creed. And the creed was adopted from the, pray the prayer of uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And I won't go into it, but Jediism and Judaism are actually very similar, and some of the names from Star Wars actually sound like Yiddish words. But just for a second, let's forget about the characters, the visual effects. 
Let's talk about the score. And then we'll mention the story. John Williams is the man, and he's done many different films. And music can make or break a scene in most movies. But you can't tell me you didn't tear up in Revenge of the Sith and others, but Episode 3 being the most tear-jerking. I'll give you some examples. At the start of Order 66, when Anakin turns to the dark side, when Anakin kills the younglings in the Jedi Temple, and when Obi-Wan says, You were the chosen one! It was said that you would destroy the Sith, not join them! Bring balance to the Force! Not leave it in darkness. You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you. Star Wars is a universe where release order was important. In A New Hope, we're introduced to Darth Vader. And nobody knew who he was when watching for the first time, or who he really was. In The Empire Strikes Back, we only found out that he was Luke's father, and in Return of the Jedi, we found out that his name was once Anakin Skywalker. Fast forward to the release of The Phantom Menace, and everyone's reaction to young Anakin was, Son of a bitch, that's Darth Vader as a kid. And everything comes full circle, and I honestly think it was the best released and his best watch in the original theater release order. So from humans to giant ants, spiders, or krikna, space worms, which were called exogorth, to bats, and more, there are some creatures that we haven't even seen but are now being introduced to live action in The Mandalorian. Some of these creatures, like the Kreekna, for example, were actually part of Ralph McQuarrie's original concept art. In fact, when Luke travels to Dagobah in The Empire Strikes Back, the original plan were, was for actually him to encounter those giant spiders. Star Wars is an incredible and an ever-expanding universe. Because it has so many possibilities for spin-offs and side stories, for like what we saw in Rogue One... Solo, The Clone Wars, and the in-development Kenobi series, and Mandalorian, and ongoing, in my opinion, it's one of the best, if not the best, fantasy sci-fi series out there. Star Wars is a universe that makes you want to fly a spaceship, or go to planets far, far away. So about 20 years ago, I had a computer available to me for use, and it was my parents'. And this was an old Windows 95 machine. It was a piece of shit compared to what we have today. And a game I played on a regular basis was Star Wars Jedi Knight. I can't even remember what the full campaign story was, but it was amazing to just throw you into the Star Wars universe for an hour or two. But in the past 20 years, obviously technology has advanced at a crazy fast rate, and the games have just gotten better. Knights of the Old Republic... The Force Unleashed, Battlefront, and the latest, Jedi Fallen Order. Hell, there's a Star Wars land that has a full-size Millennium Falcon. It's patrolled by people in Stormtrooper outfits. You can build your own lightsabers, buy other lightsaber replicas. You can drink blue milk. You can also build a droid, get a drink at Oga's Cantina, and a bunch of other Star Wars shit. In my opinion... 
Star Wars is the best fantasy out there. There are loads of possibilities for spinoffs. Not that I want to see every single one. But Star Wars has many different interesting characters that did not get the screen time that they deserved. And that can be live action or animated. As a matter of fact, Disney just had their investors meeting last week and announced a bunch of Star Wars shows. Including one titled Acolyte that will be set in the area era excuse me, of the High Republic. They announced the show about Cassian Andor, the captain from Rogue One, a couple years ago, but this investors meeting confirmed it, that it's in the works. With the people that I've discussed this with, none of us seem to care about this being made into a series because we've never cared enough about his character to want more backstory. He was cool in Rogue One, we liked him in Rogue One, that's all we personally felt we needed to see. Will we still watch it? Perhaps, but like with many other things, we're cautiously optimistic. However, they did just announce that Hayden Christensen himself will be joining Ewan McGregor in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series that is to start production in January. The show is set to be 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith, And they said that Hayden will be returning as Darth Vader, so I'm curious to see in what capacity they'll have him in. Obviously, he can't do the voice. That's always James Earl Jones. And I had mentioned to a few people that if he is to play Darth Vader, it would be in a capacity where he's either in the suit, communicating through the Force, or perhaps makes an appearance and or communicates within a Bacta healing tank, because we have seen him without his suit on in a couple different occasions i'd also like to see some force ghost liam neeson and aka qui-gon Jinn, but will we see that that's yet to be determined i'd like to see some news regarding that but i'm pretty sure disney's going to keep that under wraps if they can anyways guys that is the end of this episode this podcast is of course live on spotify iTunes, and Google Podcasts. If you'd like to inquire about being a guest on the show or emailing in any questions for Q&A, please email to the address down below. Until next time, this has been A Divine Intervention, and may the Force be with you.